0: This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bookmarked, a young adult book podcast from Bookstacked.com. Today, we're talking about Netflix's adaptation of Shadow and Bone. This is the first time we're seeing the Grishaverse on screen, which is super exciting. And we're definitely all excited to talk about it because, well, I can tell you there are eight of us here, which uh, I don't know what our record is for most people on a podcast, but I think th- this has to be one of the larger ones. It- it's been a long time since we've had a really big YA blockbuster, I guess, like a really long time. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people are really excited about this series, and we're definitely excited to dive in. But first, I want to introduce everybody who's here. So my name is Saul, and today I'm joined by Mary. Hi, guys. Brigitte. Hi, guys. Uh, Spencer. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Chelsea. Hey. Christy. Hello. Addie. Hello. And Brittany. Hi. But yeah, okay, now that that's out of the way, I do have a confession or something that I, I has been on my mind uh, since watching the show. I have been pronouncing Grishaverse as Grishaverse for a long time, and I, I think I was wrong.
2: Anyway, I pronounced Grishaverse, and they said Grisha. But I still pronounce it Grishaverse because I'm like, well, Grishaverse just sounds weird. Like, phonetically, that does not work for me. I've seen a, at least two
3: YouTubers say the same thing. Just the entire time. They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to pronounce it Grisha now because I don't care.
1: Yeah, I. the thing is, when I read... So I read Six of Crows before I ever read Shadow and Bone, which we'll get into in a bit. But um, when I first read these books, I was saying Grisha. But it's at some point along the way I heard other people saying Grisha and I self-corrected myself. Well, I guess self-not-corrected myself and taught myself to say Grisha and and now I have to try and get myself to say Grisha again. So I'm apologizing in advance. That's why I wanted to get it out, out of the way first. I will likely say Grisha verse at some point <laughs> during this podcast or probably more than likely doing some sort of mix of Grisha and Grisha. So just apologies to our, our listeners if that's the case. Uh, but there are a few things we wanted to go over before we dive into everything. First off, if you like the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review an Apple podcast. That definitely helps us and it helps other people find the show. And we're we're really grateful for everybody who does that. And also, sometimes you don't see it, but like the people who reach out uh, in DMs, like on Twitter or Instagram and stuff. There we, have been a few of you. We really appreciate it. it. Again, it's just great to know we're not speaking into the void. <laughs> Uh, and that we haven't been for the last six years, so we we really appreciate all of that. Uh, the next thing I wanted to do, just really quickly, is like we've had a lot of really strong content out of Bookstack to the last few months. I know our podcast discussions have been been a bit more sparse, but that's largely because the website has been taking off like crazy. And um, I'll say like we're we're finishing April with the highest, the highest readership we've ever had at bookstacked which <laughs> we keep breaking our own records, which is exciting, but because of that, there are a lot more time is being put into the website and into the writing um, rather than the podcast. Not that we're giving up on the podcast or anything, but I'm just just saying we've done a lot <laughs> on the website. Uh, one of the things though, that is podcast related is that Christy just interviewed Joan He. That episode's already out, so hopefully there's a good chance you've already heard it. But I thought that was like an amazing interview, such an interesting book. Uh, and Christy, Joan is somebody that you have known for a while. You've been following her work for a while. Just I wanted to ask you, how was it to finally like talk to her in this in this setting? What was your experience like?
4: It was really awesome getting to meet Joan. Yeah, I've been a part of her street team for a couple years since her um, first book, Descendant of the Crane, came out. So I've known her for a couple years now. So we finally got to, you know, meet via online and it was really cool. She's so nice. She's so down to earth. And for my first solo podcast interview, it went really well. So I'm really happy with it and I hope you guys enjoyed it.
1: I don't know if you mentioned it in that podcast, but I just want to call out the cover to that book.
4: The ones we're meant to find.
1: The ones we're meant to find. The cover is incredible and, and beautiful and like the detail and the waves and just the illustration of the two sisters. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think covers are totally a reason to buy a book. I've definitely yeah. done it before. And so if you're looking for a beautiful book to put on your bookshelf, this is definitely one of them for sure. Something else we wanted to do, which is related to today's topic, or I wanted to highlight, which is related to today's topic is Chelsea and I worked on a guide to the Grishaverse, verse. Which I think is pretty extensive. Chelsea helped a ton with the Six of Crows stuff, and then I filled in a lot of the Shadow and Bone things. And uh, I just really enjoyed putting that that guide together. And we did this cool thing where uh, we kind of designed the page to like add colors and just kind of make it look cool and Grisha versey, <laughs> if that's a word. <laughs> so thanks, Chelsea, for for your contributions to that one.
5: I will talk about Six of Crows forever. So really was not that hard at all. <laughs> Very happy to help add that content.
1: <laughs> I remember when I was an intern and I had to, they asked me to write a guide to the wizarding world leading up to Crimes of Grindelwald. And I was like, you don't understand. I've been preparing for this my entire life. <laughs> and it was so easy. Anyway, that that's just like what that reminded me of. And then um, a couple of last things to just kind of point out. The Divergent Anniversary, I don't know if that was on anybody's radar, but it's been 10 years since Divergent was published. And so I thought that was pretty neat. And then uh, Victoria Aveyard's book, Realm Breaker, is releasing, which uh, Chelsea's doing a little dance. She's a big Victoria Aveyard fan. I read the book. I really enjoyed it. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. (laughs) I feel like it's unfortunate there isn't a huge fandom just for Realm Breaker yet because it's so new. Because I uh, there's a lot of stuff like there are a couple of really great twists that I would love to discuss with people. So anyway, I I'm really glad
5: to that hear one. that because I'm forcing my book club to read that book. So I'm glad it's good because it is long and I feel kind of bad that I'm making my friends read it. But I am so pumped to find out what happens in there.
1: There. Okay, I'm not going to stall any further. Let's jump into the verse and start talking about Shadow and Bone. I want to start off with, I think it's a tradition now, whenever we do a book to film adaptation, who here hasn't read the books?
6: I have not read the books. They've okay. been on my radar for years, especially since I started going to Y'all Fest and, you know, Lee Bardugo was there. I just, college and life and adulting just gets in the way. But I did order them and they should have them by next Friday.
7: I read the first one. I got through half of the second one before I DNF'd Shadow and and Bone series, but I've been wanting to read Six of Crows way longer than um, I've wanted to read Shadow and Bone, so I do plan to go back to the universe and read Six of Crows soon.
8: I also have not read any of the books. Um, I don't have any good reason. I think I've just been living under a rock. And when I heard of the Netflix adaptation, I just decided to wait on it. Sometimes when I hear, you know, like a book is getting a big adaptation, I'll just wait and see and kind of join in on the fun and the momentum when it releases. So that's where I was at.
5: I've read all of them. Um, I read, I think maybe it'd be good to explain just really quickly for listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with the book series. There's two there's three series, really, in this world. The first one is Shadow and Bone, which is a trilogy where Alina, Mal, and the Darkling are the main characters. And then the second is a duology that is Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, where the main characters are Kaz, Inej, and Jesper, along with uh, others, including um, Nina and Mateus, who are also in the show. But chronologically, bookwise, the trilogy happens and then Six of Crows happens, Um, that's also how the author, uh, Leo Brigo wrote the books. And so I think a lot of people have the idea that they should read Shadow and Bone trilogy first and then read Six of Crows. Um, but I'm here to say, I think it is okay if you read Shadow and Bone and you don't love Shadow and Bone to just go to Six of Crows because Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows, even though they are the same world, are wildly different stories Six, or Shadow and Bone is a, is really kind of the TV show or the, the, those three characters part of the TV show. It's this chosen one story about sort of destroying this big darkness that they have to fight. Six of Crows is a heist in the same world, but like completely different and a very different tone and a very different um, feel to it. And I don't think I'm saying anything wildly out of line when I say that Six of Crows is agreed upon kind of a better book. I think Shadow and Bone was like Leobardio's first book ever. And for that, it's like, holy crap, well done. But I think she's really learned so much and you can see that in Six of Crows. And so, yeah, if you're if you're one of those people who like really struggled with the Shadow and Bone trilogy, go to Six of Crows. You will not regret it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a a fair recommendation. Uh, I started with Six of Crows, not for any particular reason. I think I kind of missed the Shadow and Bone wave. It came out in like 2011, I think, the first book. And I just wasn't reading much during that time. And so when I started picking up reading again a couple years later, I think a lot of the Shadow and Bone hype was already over. And then Six of Crows came out a couple years after that. And there was a lot of talk about it. I remember if if you're like a really old podcast listener, you remember we used to have a someone named Ariana on the book stack team. And I remember she, that was the first time I'd heard of it and she was raving about it. And so I picked it up and really enjoyed it. I didn't even realize, I think at the time that it was connected to a previous series, but anyway, I still, I loved it. And and that said, I don't remember much of the book because it has been several years, but I remember loving it. I remember the characters, Kaz, Jesper and edge, like they're hard to forget. Um, they're so good. And Anyway, for me, that was definitely what I was most excited to see in the show. But I did binge all three books in the last couple of weeks, all three Shadow and Bone books. I have to say, I, when I started reading the book, the first Shadow and Bone book, I was really into it. I felt like it started off really strong, and then it sort of fizzled um, about midway through that first book. And I was like, oh, okay, I see what everybody's talking about. <laughs> and But the entire time I was reading it, I kept thinking... This is like a really cool world. I already know Six of Crows is good. J- just like the the whole concept of the Grisha and how they manipulate matter. Like they're not doing magic, right? They're doing a, the small science or whatever. Uh, I, I just loved that entire concept. And so even though I'll say that the Shadow and Bone books weren't my favorite, I still they still hyped me up for this show because the foundation and just like the groundwork of what Lee Bardugo was doing in those early books was just beautiful and amazing. And I think it created a really strong foundation for the show because we haven't gotten into what everybody thought about the show yet, but I'll be the first to say, I thought it was really, really good. Um, I thought it was very strong and I think it's probably the best book adaptation that I have seen since the hunger games specifically catching fire. So, I yeah, I highly recommend it. What, what did you all think about, about the show? And, I, and I'd love to hear too from people who have read the books. How, how do you think the show represented Lee Bardugo's material?
3: I think the show was better, <laughs> and uh, part of that was that we uh, we were not in Alina's head, so there was a lot. So, so I really like this kind of uh, overview of the world, and particularly, we get to see Mal and we get to see his sometimes we get to see his point of view beyond the letters and so there's it's their relationship is much more developed and since it's at the core of these books it just made the entire thing a a lot better instead of just hearing Alina think about oh how much she loves him and Mal running off to flirt with whatever Grisha you actually see him Return that feeling from the first season. So I really like that. That was perhaps my favorite uh, part of the show.
2: Yeah. I So again, I only read up until like halfway in the first book. And I, this is probably going to get a little off track, but I didn't realize that the um, Six of Crows were, was going to be in it. So I had no idea who these people were. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have I missed? But I still liked how they change that up. And, you know, even with seeing Mal and his side of the story is really helpful because I think it adds a lot more depth into their relationship. And even just the story in general, I think helps move it along. And then I just think the world that they created on the show is magical. I love the costumes. I know that's not really bookish but I'm like these costumes are amazing and I think all of the actors portrayed their characters so well just based off of what I read in the first half of Shadow and Bone but I loved it and I could not stop watching and now I'm upset because I can't binge anymore so
5: (laughs) yeah I I knew Six of Crows was gonna be in there but I knew like it was gonna be a different like a story we didn't know And they had that first shot of them like zooming in on the island and like the Ketterdam comes up in the corner and like you see Jesper and then like Kaz has his big moment. And I literally I finally had that moment where I was like, I now understand when people cheer in a Marvel movie because I'm like sitting in my room by myself and I'm like, yeah, like I'm so excited to finally see these characters. And I think what you said, too, the casting of those main six is eerily incredible it is exactly right for all of them Jesper's comedy to like Matt like I liked Mal in this which I was not ready to do at all I really hated him in the book so I was really happy to like like the guy you're supposed to like finally but no I I think it is really hard for a movie or a movie or a tv show or an adaptation to be better than a book I think this one is Definitely better than Shadow and Bone. I don't necessarily think it's better than Six of Crows, but I am really excited and they better get there because I think once they get to that material, it has a chance of like rivaling it because of everything that they've set up. Um, And I will also say I loved the story they create, like the new stories they created too. Like I liked the books, but um, I think this really showed like what you can do when you have the author on your side bergo's name is an executive. I think she's an executive producer. Um, she's been very involved with this from the start. And because of that, you can feel that all the changes that they've made were made with like a really specific point. I think that was really important to this, too, that it wasn't the book was this precious thing they couldn't change anything about. They made changes and shifted and and moved in different directions in in really great and like innovative new ways for the material,
1: yeah, I think that's a great a great point. And I think, this is one of those perfect examples of where uh, the book doesn't or the movie doesn't need to match or be a perfect adaptation of the book. Which I, I know we've done an episode on, I think we've done a few episodes on book adaptations in general in the past. And I think I've said it then and I, I'll say it again here. Like I don't necessarily believe that a book needs to perfectly There needs to be a perfect correlation between the book and the movie. In fact, I feel like if you try to do that, the movie's going to be pretty bad, (laughs) Um, more, more than likely, because they're just different mediums. And when I was younger, like a kid... And I heard that like when I heard when I would listen to to directors and producers and screenwriters talk about ch- changing the book. I'm like, no, that's so stupid, you idiot, because the book is perfect. And why would you why would you change it? Um, Like, it doesn't make a difference that it's a different medium. But now I really do feel like, no, it, it totally is a different medium. And the language of storytelling is different from a film versus a book. And so this is, yeah, a perfect example of that where. When you're willing to to bend the rules a little bit and explore, then you're going to create not just a good show. But I, what Brigitte said earlier, I agree that I think the show is better than the book. And so that just kind of shows you like the amount of power you can have when you have that support with from the author, but also when the author is open to, to things being changed. And also the fan base. I feel like the fan base has been very open to these changes, uh, which isn't always the case. But as far as I can tell on Twitter and, and everywhere else, people generally are very happy with, with the changes that they made to the show.
7: Yeah, I liked the show so much better than the book. Like I said, I kind of DNF'd the series. But um, I think it went better, actually, as a show and incorporating Six of Crows um, because like you did have time to flesh out these characters through eight episodes compared to, like, a a two-and-a-half, three-hour movie as to where everything goes, like, really slowly or really fast. And, like, I think introducing the Crows was important because not only do you get this world that people love, but if people like Six of Crows better, you also get that, oh, like, here are these characters I love that may not have gotten their own series but are incorporated in um, Shadow and Bone some way.
5: And also because the fun of Six of Crows is that those guys are so unexpected. The best I think the best part of like any heist book but especially that heist book is you don't know how they're gonna pull it off. That's the fun and so it was really fun having that like you knew what Alina and Mal and the Darkling story was kind of gonna go but you didn't know at all what Six of Crows the Six of Crows characters were gonna do and that made it really fun even if you had read all the books because you're like I have no idea what they're trying to do right now but we're gonna find out and as always they like manage somehow to get themselves out of in and out of trouble all the time so I think that added a nice a nice twist to it.
2: I think too this was the probably first adaptation that I felt I could watch and enjoy like as an adult and not through like young adult eyes I'm probably pushing no longer young adult age, but I feel like they did such a good job at it was dark, but not too dark. And it was comedic for so that's not so serious. And it was just I think the characters were amazing. And even Chelsea, when you talked about the six of crows again, I had no idea who they were, but I loved them being in there. So I'm like, how are they going to pull this off? Are they crazy? What happens if they don't? Do they know how guarded she is? Does she know all this stuff? So I really enjoyed it, even as, like, a grown adult and not just a YA person.
5: I think they also, what I really liked about this, too, is they knew what to cut, too. I think part of the problem of Shadow and Bone is it's long, like, she spends a lot of time in the palace. And, I mean, she has to. She's got to, like, learn to use her powers. In a TV show, though, that can be two or three scenes and then we're good. Um, and I thought it was so smart how they had each of those moments that, like, you wanted to see from the book. Like, you wanted to see her fight the other one of the other Grishas. You wanted to see her have these moments with Bagra. You wanted to see her and Jenya sort of form this relationship. And those all happened. And then it was done. And I thought that was a really smart pacing tool, too, that they kind of pulled out all the the extra um to it and and kept things moving along i need to shout out milo the goat because i think that was maybe the best part of the show i'd also like to say that you can't hear them right now because they're all muted but everybody's laughing with me that was incredible on the train and then he saves matt like that goat should have been a main character i don't know why (laughs) that goat deserves a spinoff that was such a fun idea and it was so well executed and it just added this like layer of comedy that was beautifully done. And I just, props to whoever came up with that one. So good.
6: That was amazing. I mean, it it gave the show some levity without making it like over the top. And I'm currently rewatching the show again. I finished it last night. I'm on episode five right now. Um. And I'm still, like, laughing. I, I already know what happened, and I'm still laughing. Like, I know the scene is coming up, but I'm still enjoying it as much as the first time. And, the, like Chelsea said, the pacing of all the scenes was really good. You get a sense of, like, oh, she's been here this long within, like, two or three scenes without having it to be, like, half the episode. So The editing team did an amazing job on that.
8: I agree having never read the book I would still highly recommend the show like I'm I'm interested in reading some of the books now. I didn't feel lost at all like it was easy enough to follow especially because there are enough familiar tropes where I can kind of understand what's going on. We got a chosen one, okay, we got some light powers, we got some dark powers. I know who the good people are, I know who the bad people are, <laughs> you know. It's it's easy enough to kind of follow along and then the world is it's really interesting because it pulls from a lot of familiar elements from YA and almost seem to pull from both things from popular fantasy series and popular dystopian series at the same time I was picking up on. And so those little details really didn't matter to my viewing of it so for example I'm just learning I guess that this was all science I thought it was fantasy did that really shift what was going on for me not really I just assumed the way they were all moving their hands that they were just uh basically all like airbenders and firebenders like in avatars what it looked like to me but that didn't affect like my enjoyment of the show at all right um I could still follow along with all the action and and so I do think that they they did a great job especially right a Netflix show that is really Aimed at bringing in a wider audience, you can just hop in and enjoy it right away. And I found that the show just got better and better as I watched her, and the more that it moved into the plot, the more I got into the show.
1: I feel like I should clarify um, really quickly, though, that it is still fantasy and they are doing magic, but like they don't in within the world that, of the verse, they don't call it magic themselves. Well, I think some people do sort of in a derogatory way, but the Grisha. Their their whole thing and one of the cool sort of I don't know what the right word is flavors or sort of world building things that Lee Bardugo does is essentially it is like air bending or water bending <laughs> or or anything fire bending or anything like that but they actually talk a little bit about what's going on like in a scientific ways sort of like we're we're manipulating the the matter we're not just creating fire out of nowhere so it just kind of takes little elements like that into into account. Anyway, just thought I'd clarify that.
8: No, that's good. I've got lots to learn coming into it fresh.
1: And I think one
5: thing that's really important to mention with this, too, is this is not an all-white cast, which we are very used to seeing in adaptations of YA. But the decision to make Alina part Shu, which is a different country than the country that they're in of Ravka, that decision to cast biracially I think shows a really important step forward for YA adaptations.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important thing to bring up. I for sure felt that. And I loved the fact that they were being conscious about diversity in this series. When, yeah, this is a huge issue in fantasy across the board and science fiction, like massive. And I saw a lot of people to talk about how they, they really appreciated that. For me, one of the big things I noticed right away was, and we already kind of touched on this, was the fact that Alina and Mal are both mixed race, sort of, it explains some of the motivation or or explains some of their intentions as children to kind of come together. And I liked that aspect of it. One thing, though, that there has been this really big discussion online, and I, I saw it a lot on Twitter, though, is while it was an attempt to be more diverse, it still fell short in a lot of ways.
4: Yeah, so I follow a lot of fellow Asian book bloggers online. And I actually stayed off Twitter because I didn't want to be spoiled by the show. So I didn't really know about any of the discussions going on around it. But there was the scene I think that really hurt the Asian community was when the maid made a comment about Alina's eyes. And how they didn't want they wanted her to look less shoe, and I think that's what really sparked the conversation and hurt a lot of people. So that's when I finally got on Twitter and I saw everyone talking about it. So I definitely understand the hurt
3: people feel from the show. I saw a lot of that discussion as well on Twitter. Then I was watching a booktuber review it, and she's Korean. And she said she really liked the change of making Alina half shoe, but I feel like she's in the minority. So I was very surprised to hear that given everything that was happening on Twitter. But I thought it was a very interesting uh,
1: point of view. One thing like I, I do want to point out, too, and especially when you're talking about like people of color, which a lot of people even say like that term has negative connotations to it, I think probably for this reason or what I'm about to, to bring up is there's just this tendency to look at people and groups of people sort of as this, like like they're all the same, and they all think a monolith? the same. A monolith? Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, I have seen people who so they really appreciated it, but at the same time, you do still have a lot of people who who were hurt by it. So, I mean, sometimes I see that when people have these kind of conversations. It's like, well, you didn't like it, but so-and-so liked it. (laughs) Well, it's because everybody's diverse, even within a a minority group. And so there are mixed reactions to it. I, for sure, like some of the things I saw, like when I was watching it, if I'm being completely honest, but again, I'm, I'm probably ignorant to this. Like I thought like, oh, this is a great idea. I'm glad they did this. Uh, But as I started reading some of the criticisms and stuff, I was like, you know what? I, I can see that. Like that makes sense. And I guess what I hope more than than anything is that ev- these everybody is heard, and that Lee Bardugo and um, everybody else involved with the production will will take this as an opportunity to get to learn and just do better. Not like do better like in a bad way. Like you know we all want to be better. We want to progress in our storytelling and in our ability. Yeah, to tell these stories and I hope that they're able to to use this as a learning opportunity to to get there.
5: Yeah, and I actually I hadn't seen any of the I I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter and I just I just finished the series recently, so I hadn't seen any of the um the backlash from the Asian community, but it's one of those things that I definitely want to take a look at and see maybe what I as like a white consumer of this miss. Like it was just so nice to see not an entirely white cast in a fantasy that I didn't maybe think harder about it. And I think that shows sort of how far we still all have to, to come.
0: This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Libro FM has the same audiobooks at the same price as that other audiobook store. You know who. But when you purchase from Libro FM, you're purchasing audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Be part of a different story and support your community. Again, use promo code bookstacked when you start your membership at Libro.fm or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the U S and Canada.
1: Okay. I want to move on. Um, (laughs) Big question I have is, will there be a season two? And, I feel like I don't think there has been an official announcement yet, but I feel like it's inevitable. Like there there will be a second season almost surely. As far as I can tell, this show has done extremely well for itself. Um, and people who both people who have and haven't read the books are, are big fans and are consuming the show. And it's been so long since we've had something like that. I think the last one was like Divergent, maybe. The Maze Runner? I don't know. Um, It just, like, you you get what I'm saying? Like a blockbuster franchise that has brought so many people, even non-readers, in. It's been so long, and I've been waiting for it for so long, and I'm so happy that it's finally happened. I feel like the next one will probably be Percy Jackson, eventually, when that comes to Disney+. Plus. But for now, uh, I feel like this show has really taken off, and I'm hoping there will be a season two. But um, one thing connected to that is, my big question is, how is six of crows going to play into a season two are they do they still have like two other parts to this uh prequel to the six of crows that that they're planning on doing or do you guys think we're going to start seeing elements from the actual six of crows book integrated into the storyline
5: i think the inclusion of nina and matthias's story in season one shows that because i i think chronologically it was like She got to Ketterdam, the two of them got to Ketterdam, like, two years before the events of Six of Crows, so it would make sense that she, I I love that ending where Kaz like, gonna need a heart render, and she's sitting, like, right there, and it's like, oh, yes? (laughs) Can I help you? That makes me think we're definitely gonna see more of them. I also think just how much they were included in this first season means that they're not suddenly gonna be like, eh, we're done with those guys, We'll, we'll catch them later, But all I can say is there better be a season two and three and four. I just, we need to get to the Six of Crows heist. And if we don't get there, I'm going to be severely disappointed.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the thing is if you look at it, right? Because there's three Shadow and Bone books. So that would be season one, two, three. And then you got two Six of Crows books. So that's five seasons. And I am hoping for that like you. But Netflix does have a history of just dropping successful shows usually at season four <laughs> it seems to be season three or four and there are a few that make it like but these are like their huge headliner shows like stranger things or the crown or something like that and so is shadow and bone one of those as well and i hope it is because i really want to see the six of crows story as well but part of me is a little nervous like i, I think we're gonna, probably gonna get a season two but are we gonna get like all the way up to season five
8: I was just going to say, if, if I had it my way, just as someone who's just seen the show, um, I would love for them to do maybe two or three seasons and just continue to intertwine it as they have. I think the characters that I liked the most, the storyline that I was most invested in was uh, the Crows. Um, they were really lovable and just really fun to follow. But of course, what made their story interesting was that it was like set within this bigger um, you know, world conflict. And so you needed um, Alina and Mal and, and the Darkling and everything else going on to really give weight to what the Crows were doing. And then I would like to, I guess, <laughs> see more from Nina and Matthias, just because I was totally confused as to why they were even in the show. To be honest, it, I just kept cutting to them and I was like, well, I have no idea who these people are or why they are. <laughs> involved in this season of this tv show um so i assume that they will play bigger roles in the future and like they were nice enough that i'm interested in learning more and hopefully they can all you know continue to be intertwined So that's what i found fun was those moments where the storylines met we mentioned the one right at the end right where Cass says that he needs a heart render it was such a great moment the other my favorite moment in the whole show was when alina's is escaping the uh party I don't know what else to call it and then she just jumps right into the trunk in the wagon um while Jesper's standing there I just thought it was just really really excellent writing that such a payoff moment that she did exactly what you would want her to do it was great and so those moments where the stories came together were the best part for me so I hope that they continue to be intertwined that's what made it a worthwhile show from my perspective
2: I have one thing that sort of creeped me out because I've been a fan of Ben Barnes since the Chronicles of Narnia Prince Caspian and like huge crush not gonna lie when that came out I was like I love you so much so I followed him ever since and so when this came out I'm like how old are you (laughs) and I was like I'm really scared to look up the age difference of uh, these actors because I'm afraid it's gonna ruin it for me And lo and behold, I looked it up the moment I found out that um, he was not who I initially wanted him to be in this show. So it made it a little bit better to not like him, but it's just a really large gap for my liking. (laughs) But I still really love him. So
1: There's a, a funny article out there about this with Ben Barnes and how he's so much older than the rest of his cast members uh that he 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 still wanted to be friends with them, so he sent them a uh how do you do fellow kids uh <laughs> meme in their group chat uh, which i thought was pretty funny but when it comes to the darkling i was i was hoping we wouldn't talk too much about the darkling um because <laughs> i i, I Oh my gosh! Is this why
6: you left it to the last minute to bring it up, hoping nobody would bring
1: it up? (laughs) I wasn't gonna bring it up at all. I okay, you people who ship the darkling, uh, what, what? I don't. Okay, we're gonna lose. I'm gonna say two
6: words. Ben Barnes. What was that? (laughs) I'm gonna say Ben Barnes. That's all I'm gonna say. But I gotta say,
3: say... (laughs) sorry. I'm going to say two other words. The alternative in the book, well, not two other words, but the alternative in the book sucks.
1: Mal sucks. See, that's how how I feel. "Eh." I hear people people talk bad about Mal, and I'm like, the alternative is so much worse.
2: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Uh, is it the... You turn around and you see how much he, like, hurt as a kid or teenager, young adult, whatever, And then you start to like him. So I thought this was, we were, when I first started, I thought we were like, oh, like he came from such a horrible family. He was so alone. Like I totally bought it. I bought all of it. And I don't know if that speaks to her writing or if that's more Ben Barnes because I knew he played this character. Like I was all in. And the whole time I was like, please don't be a bad guy. Please don't be a bad guy. Please don't. Please don't. And then, you know, it just sometimes, It's just nice to fall for the bad boy every once in a while.
5: Can I just add, though, that that scene at the end with Alina and uh, Inej was amazing. They had incredible chemistry. I would ship that. It was like the one moment where the two women got to like have a moment and they it was beautiful. And I was like, can, can they just hang out? We can get rid of all the boys, right? Like the two of them can just hang out and I'm cool.
8: I think um, we need to do a second Shadow and Bone chip cast, like just another hour of this, all our favorite pairings. Oh gosh. No. We need to dig into Jasper and uh, the like. There's so many great pairings in this show.
5: Jasper had <laughs> chemistry with everyone. Every single he person did, on the screen. Such shout out to that actor because he's yes. kept so much levity in moments where you would never expect it, or he just made. Every single one of his lines I was laughing at. Like, they were all perfect one-liners. Oh. He.
8: I mean, I felt like we had chemistry when I was watching the show. I was like, <laughs> we are connecting right now across through the I
2: screen. Like, so you know you're doing a great job. Friend. Be my best friend, please, because you're a great time.
6: Yeah, he had the best one-liners, like, when uh, Kaz asked him to, what is it, um to, like, sneak into some place. And he's like, handsome is not one of my talents, you know? Like, like he has like he has the best one-liners in the entire series. We gotta like, like Shelter said, so we have to give him props. He just has like the best timing, and it's never too much.
1: Okay, I'm ending the conversation here because clearly we can keep going on. Yeah, that that's Shadow and Bone. Obviously, we're very excited about this show. Uh, looking forward to to hearing news about a season two whenever that comes and anything else that Happens, uh, of course, we'll be covering that on Bookstacked, and I think it's likely we'll be talking about Shadow and Bone again here on the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening and joining us today. If you like the show, please follow us on Twitter. We're at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow the website Bookstacked online as well. Just look up Bookstacked on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Um, normally, we go around and share everybody's personal social media accounts, but there are a lot of us here, so I'm not going to do that right now. However, They are all linked in the show notes. So if you want to follow any of us, you can do that and get quick access to everybody's social media handles. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Bye.
7: Bye. Bye. Bye.